everyone. My name is Jordan, and I'm one of the pastors here at eFree. And we're going to continue with our sermon series on the good life. But before we do that, we've got to celebrate. So if you were here last week, you heard the update from Pastor Brian about our Carney to the World initiative with Maganga, Colombia. And so we have partnered with Compassion International to sponsor kids in Maganga, Colombia. And last week, Pastor Brian brought 15 packets that represented 15 kids that were in need of sponsors. And last week, we sponsored all 15 of those kids, which is awesome. Yes. And not only did we sponsor those 15 kids, but we have two individuals or families that got on a waiting list. So the next two kids that become available in Maganga, they're going to be sponsored. And so I am so excited um, that our church rises to the occasion, that time and time again, we come before you and say, hey, we need help with this thing or that thing. And time and time again, you guys rise to the occasion and you sponsor, you serve, you help. And it's such a blessing to be involved with a church that does stuff like that. Also want to let you know that at the end of Adrian's message last week, he gave the opportunity for anyone who wanted to grow deeper in their faith to be partnered with a mentor to go through the Growing in Christ book. And last week, we had 45 individuals who said, yes, I want to strengthen my faith. I want to go deeper in my faith. Would you partner me with a mentor? So we have 45 people that are going through the mentorship program with Growing in Christ. And so if you're someone who missed out on that and you would still like to be, you're still interested in getting connected with a mentor, talk to me following the service. We'd love to try and get you partnered with someone to help you grow in your relationship with Christ by going through that book. So we are now continuing our series on the good life, and today's message is called More Compelling Than Bootstraps. And so with the good life series, we're looking at the good life that's um, offered or is said, this is what the good life is through uh, the society, whether it's through commercials or through other ideas in society, and then also through um, trite religious phrases. Sometimes we get cliche and we boil something down that really should be beautiful and robust, and we boil it down to something small. And so this idea of more, more compelling the bootstraps, I think, can fall under both categories. That you have this idea of, if you just work really hard, you can do it on your own. That you, you might need Jesus' help, and you do need Jesus' help, but then after Jesus rescues you, you kind of just do the rest on your own. Or the idea of, if you just work really hard, and you have this person who they just had all these advantages, or they just they didn't have any advantage, but they just did it all in there, and they pulled themselves up by their bootstraps, and they just figured out a way to make it work, and they built this business, or they built this thing or that thing, and you can do it too. And so right off the bat, I want you to know, when I think about the phrase bootstraps, I think there's two components. One component is hard work, and then the other component is I can do it all by myself. Now, you have to know I'm a Nebraskan, that I grew up in Nebraska, and I have spent my entire life here, and I know that we like hard work. So I'm not here to attack hard work. So you need to hear that. Because if you think that I'm attacking hard work, you're like, uh-uh, I'm a Nebraskan. We, we like hard work. And we do. And I want you to know that I think the Bible supports and it celebrates hard work. So I'm not here to attack hard work. I'm here to, to talk about and to critique this idea of I can do it all by myself. I don't need anybody else's help. I don't need God's help. I don't need the church's help. I don't need a life group's help. I don't need a friend's help. I got this. Just let me go. Let me be. Thank you very much. So before we begin, I need you to say with me, this is not about hard work. Because if you think this is about hard work, you're going to shut down and go, I don't want to hear this. Because you're Nebraskans and you like hard work. So I'm going to count to three. 
And then would you please say out loud with me, this is not about hard work. One, two, three. This is not about hard work. Excellent. So now that that is established, the gospel offers us a far more compelling life than I can do it all by myself, bootstrap attitude. And that's what we're going to dig into today. So would you pray with me? Father God, Father God, would you help me? God, would you help me to be clear and concise? God, would you use your word to change our hearts? But God, would you also help me to fight and to defeat this bootstrap attitude? That God, I see this in myself. I see this attitude of I can do it all by myself in my heart. And God, I pray that you would help me, God, that you would change this in me. God, I pray this for my friends here in this room. God, I know that there are more than just me that wrestle with thinking I can do it all by myself. I don't need anyone else's help. So God, would you use your words, would you use the story that Jesus tells to change us and mold us and shape us into a community that leans on each other, a community that encourages each other, and a community that blesses each other. pray this all in your son's name. Amen. If you have your Bibles with you today, you can open them up to Luke chapter 18. So Luke is in the New Testament, so it's towards the back of your Bible. It goes Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So if you get to Matthew or Mark, go to the right, you'll find Luke. If you get to John or Acts or Romans, you went too far to the right, go a little bit to the left, you'll find Luke. Luke number 18, chapter 18, verses 9 through 14 is what we're going to be in today. So also, greetings to everybody here in the auditorium. Hello to everybody over in the venue and online. I'm so glad you could be with us here this morning. So this is a parable, and a parable is a story that Jesus would tell to get across a point or an idea that he wanted to teach his audience something. And so this is what Luke 18, verses 9 through 14 says. It says, to some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance He would not even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. So let's dig into these verses and see what is it that Jesus has to teach us about a life that's more compelling than the bootstrap attitude. So if you look at verse 9, he says, it says, to some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. So Jesus is talking to an audience of people, and as he looks out into his audience, he sees people that they are pretty confident of their self-righteousness. They're pretty confident that they've got it all together, they don't need God's help or anyone else's help. They're pretty confident that because they have it all together, that makes them better than other people. And so he tells them this story. But before we get to that, I have to ask myself, and we have to ask ourselves, do I have this attitude in me? Do I have this attitude that says, I don't need God's help, I don't need anyone else's help? Or do we have an attitude that says, maybe I need God's help, but I don't need anybody else's? Because there have been points in my life where I've had that attitude. There's been points in my life where I've said, I've got it together, and I don't need anyone else's help, and I'm better than you. For instance, 
Anytime I had a school project and it was a group project, like instantly, I was like, really? Do I have to be in a group project with other people? Like there's literally times I would go to my teacher and say, can I just do the whole project by myself? Because in my mind, I thought, I don't need anyone's help. These people are going to hold me back. And I would immediately judge some of the people that got put in my group. I'd go, that guy, he's not going to do his job. Like he's going to put his name on my work. I don't want that. And immediately, I would have this heart that says, I am self-righteous. I got this on my own. I don't need this guy's help. I don't need this person's help. I have got this. Just let me be. I've got this. Thank you very much. And so it's super easy for me to read this and to go, man, this Pharisee guy does not have this thing figured out. And to skip over the fact that I don't have it figured out. And so I don't know who you are or where you're at right now, but it's easy for us to walk into church and to see somebody that we go, why are you here? Like, I know what you were doing on Friday night, or I know what you were doing on Thursday night, or on Saturday night. Like, why are you here? And to think that because I was doing holy things, I was praying on Friday night, that I should be in church on Sunday. And so we have to ask the question of, is Jesus telling this story not just to his audience, but also to me? Am I one of the people in Jesus' audience that he's telling this story to because I have convinced of my self-righteousness or of my ability to do it all on my own? So then he goes into his story. And in verse 10, he says, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. So it's as if Jesus is standing in the middle, and he's the narrator, and he says, on this side, we have the Pharisee. Now, Jesus' audience, immediately as they hear that the guy's a Pharisee, they go, okay, this is the hero. This guy right here is the hero. This guy is the religious elite. He is the good guy. We're going to cheer for him. And they're like, yeah, Pharisee. And then they say, on this side, we have a tax collector. And now a tax collector is the bottom of the Jewish social system, that he is a traitor, that he works on behalf of Rome to collect money from his own people to give to Rome. And he collects more than he needs to fill his own pockets. So when, they, when Jesus says tax collector, they might have go, boo. This tax collector guy, this guy's the villain. This guy is terrible. Well, then Jesus goes into the story. And he says, the Pharisee, in verse 11, the Pharisee stood by himself and prayed. God, I thank you that I am not like other people. Robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector over here. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. So his prayer is, God, thank you that you made me awesome. God, thank you that you made me better than everybody else. These tax collectors and evildoers and robbers and adulterers. God, thank you that I have got it all together. God, thank you that I don't need your help or I don't need someone else's help. God, thank you. He stands by himself. That he is above standing with the rest of God's people, and so he stands by himself because he doesn't want to get their sin on him. He doesn't want to affiliate with them. And then at the end, he gives his religious resume. So in the Jewish system, they're supposed to fast once a week, but he fasts twice a week. And then he gives a tenth of everything he gets. So when he finds a dime on the sidewalk, he gives a penny of that dime to the church. When his garden produces 10 tomatoes, he gives one of those tomatoes to the church. When he has 30 extra hours in his week, he volunteers three of those hours. He is awesome. And he has the bootstrap attitude. 
He has this attitude that says, I can save myself. I can do it on my own. I don't need your help. I don't need anybody else's help. God made me awesome, and he made me better than other people. And what it produces in him is this self-righteous, judgmental heart that says, I'm better than you. And I just need to thank God that I'm better than everybody else. And so the first principle we see in this is that the bootstrap attitude, it produces self-righteous people, not healthy people. It produces self-righteous people that say, I'm better than everybody else. I can do it on my own. Thank you very much. But it doesn't produce healthy people that say, I need you and you need me. That we're a community of brothers and sisters in Christ. That's not what it produces. Instead, it produces, I am an island to myself and I'm going to take care of this. Then in verse 13, we get, the, we get the tax collector's version of what's going on in his world. Verse 13, it says, but the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. So he also stands away from the people, but he stands away because he says, I am a sinner who does not deserve to stand close to other people. I am a sinner who does not deserve to stand close to God's people, so I'm going to stand away from them. And then he says, I'm not worthy to look up to heaven, so instead I'm going to keep my head towards the ground. And then he beats his chest as a sign of repentance and sorrow, and he says, God, show mercy to me, a sinner. That he recognizes that he's fallen short of God's standard, and he recognizes that he needs God's help. He says, God, would you help me? I can't do this on my own. God, I cannot make it on my own apart from you. Would you forgive me? Would you help me? Would you rescue me? Would you save me, God? And so what we see through the tax collector is the humble attitude. And a humble attitude leads to salvation and a more compelling life. The humble attitude, it leads to him walking away justified. It leads to a more compelling life that says, I'm not better than you, but I'm just like you and I need help. I'm just like you and I need God's mercy. I'm just like you, and I am a sinner in need of God's grace. God, would you rescue me? Would you help me? Would you save me? Now, the point of this series is to paint a more compelling portrait of the good life, that, that it's better than what we're, at, we're advertised in commercials. It's better than religious cliches. It is a more full and a more filling life. And part of that life consists of humility. Part of that life is being humble and saying, I need people in my life. I need people who know me, who can love me, who can care about me, who can correct me when I need correction, when I'm getting off the path. I need people that I can say, would you pray for me when I'm having a difficult day? I need people in my life that will encourage me and speak the gospel to me when I'm forgetting that my identity is found in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And this is what is displayed and the tax collector. And this is why he walks away justified. In verse 14, Jesus concludes the story by, telling, by saying, I tell you that this man, the tax collector, rather than the other, the Pharisee, went home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Now, maybe this doesn't surprise you. Maybe you've heard this story before, and you go, yeah, I knew the tax collector was going to walk away justified. But Jesus' audience, they probably would have gasped. They'd be like, what? That guy's the villain. That guy's the bad guy. He's not religious. He doesn't have it together. How in the world can that guy be justified? 
But let's look. I go back to the guy's prayer in verse 11 and 14, 11 and 12, sorry. Look at his prayer. So the Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even this tax collector. Like in his prayer, he's like, I am better than that guy. And then he says, I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. He doesn't mention, God, I have a lot of pride in my heart. Would you forgive me for that? God, I have a lot of, God, I have this idea that I'm better than other people. God, would you break that in me? There's no, God, would you forgive me? No, God, I need your help. No, God, I'm a sinner. There's God, I am awesome. And I don't need your help or anyone else's help. Thank you very much. And so does it really surprise us that this guy walks away unjustified? And don't miss this. At the very beginning, it shows the fruit of self-righteousness. It shows the fruit of a bootstrap life. And it says the Pharisee stood by himself. That the reality is, is if we live a bootstrap life, we're going to live a lonely life. That the bootstrap life, it leads to isolation, not salvation. And bootstrap life is a lonely life, but the humble life experiences community. The humble life experiences community. Now you have to know, you have to know that I'm, I'm talking to myself today. Like if you're here and you're getting something, that's great, but this is for me. This is for me because I deal with this day after day after day. That by God's grace, I have gotten to the point that I realize that I need Jesus Christ for salvation, that I need to trust and believe in him to be saved. But there are far too many days where I think, okay, after that, I got it, God. After that, I've got it, life group. After that, I've got it, church. That I am going to figure it out. I'm going to figure out how to do this on my own. I don't need anybody's help. Thank you very much. And it does not produce a compelling life in me. So for instance, there are days where I feel like I'm a failure as a pastor. There, is a, there are days where I feel like I am the worst pastor on the planet and I should quit and go work at Menards. Like that would be a better use of my gifts and my talents. And on those days, when I feel that way, I sit in my office and I go, God, what do I need to do? How can I do this? And I white knuckle it. I just go, I'm going to figure this out. I'm going to do it on my own. I can figure this out. I don't need anybody else's help. I'm just, God, help me do this. I can do this. And if you could see me in my office going, God, I just feel like I'm a failure. I'm terrible and I'm horrible and I don't know what to do. And then you could see around me multiple people on our staff who'd be happy to pray for me. Happy to say, Jordan, your identity is not in how good of a pastor you are. Your identity is that you are a redeemed son of God. Let me pray for you. When you see me going, I'm just going to figure this out on my own. I'm just going to do it. I'm an emotional wreck inside. That is not compelling. What's compelling is when you can get up and go to a coworker and say, I'm having a bad day. Would you pray for me? And seeing brothers or sisters in Christ praying for each other. Seeing people, when other, someone is weak, being strong for that person, that's what's compelling. And I wish I could just say that I, I'm struggling with this in my spiritual life, but it's not. Like I struggle with this bootstrap-itis around my house. So I do a lot of house projects. And there'll be things that if I had asked three members of my life group to come help with, it would be done in like minutes. But instead, I'm like, no, I'd rather take all day and do it by myself because I am going to do this on my own. So for instance, I have the shed. 
that I have a photo of. So I have this shed. Yes, it's me, posing next to my shed. So, as you know, as you can tell, I'm not going to go into modeling, so we're okay. I'm not leaving for that. I'm sorry. But this shed was my neighbor's shed, like my next-door neighbor, and they wanted to get rid of it. And they said, Jordan, you can have the shed. You just need to move it from our yard to your yard. It's probably like 100 feet. So it's not a heavy shed. And so if I had called three guys from my life group, they would have all come over. We'd each taken a corner of the shed. We would have moved it from their yard to my yard in approximately a minute and a half, maybe a minute. So, but I have bootstrapitis, so I don't need no life group members to help me move this shed. And so I'm trying to drag this shed through grass. It does not drag. So I'm trying to push it through the grass. It just doesn't push. So I go, okay, I'm a smart guy. I'm going to figure this out. So I get boards, and I lift the shed up. I put the boards under the shed, and I'm going to slide it. So I am at this for like an hour and a half, shoving my shoulder into the shed, pulling the shed, compressing it together, pulling it apart, inchworming it from my neighbor's yard just to get it to my yard, where I'm like exhausted and I'm done. I'm like, okay, I got it into my yard. I'm just going to leave it there. And you just think. Like, think if you're my neighbor and you look out the window and you see dumb Jordan shoving his arm into the shed in some neighbor's yard. You're like, what is this guy doing? Like, what in the world? Like, reality is you don't go, man, that Jordan. Look at him pulling himself up by his bootstraps. He's just going to move that shed. That's like a three, four-guy shed, but not for Jordan. Like how awesome he is. That is not what they're thinking. What they're thinking is, isn't that sad? Jordan doesn't have any friends. He doesn't have any friends that will come help him move a shed. It would take a minute. And he doesn't have anybody. So the end of the story is I get it to my yard and two of my neighbors who have probably been watching me and pitying me come and help me move my shed. But if I had been humble, if I had been humble enough to say, I don't have this figured out. If I had a humble to say, I can't move this shed by myself, and I had gone to my life group and said, hey, guys, would you come over and help me for 10 minutes? And then I did that time and time again when I needed help. What my neighbors might see is, man, why in the world does Jordan always have someone who's willing to help him? Like, every time Jordan needs help with someone, there's a number of different individuals who are over there helping him. Where did he find this kind of community? Where did he find people who would be willing to help him all the time? Like, that's far more compelling than me shoving my shoulder into a shed for an hour. But yet, I suffer from this bootstrap attitude that says, I'll pull myself up by my own bootstraps. I'll figure it out. I'll do it. I don't need anybody's help. Thank you very much. And so I need Jesus to put that to death in me. Because it is not the compelling life. It is not a good life. It is a lonely life. Really quickly, I want to give you a couple other ways that this community, it forms a compelling life. In Ephesians 4, 2 and 3, be up on the screen, it says, Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Like, just think for a moment. Because if we're honest, we probably all know a self-righteous person. And we probably all know a humble person. That they are the living embodiment of this humble, gentle, patient attitude that bears with another person in love. If you know two people like that, my guess is that you're like, I'm going to find every excuse to not be around the self-righteous person because every time we're together, it's about why they have it all together and why everybody else doesn't. 
But you're like, every excuse I can find to spend time with these gentle, humble people, I want it. Like every moment I can be around them, I want to be around them because it's life-giving. It's encouraging. It's helpful. And I walk away more full than when I got there. And then also Hebrews 10, 24 through 25. It says, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. That the good life is having someone to encourage you. Not having to say to yourself, I can do this. But instead saying, I can't do this, would you encourage me? That I'm getting tired, would you encourage me? Would you remind me where my help comes from? Would you remind me where my hope comes from? That is a compelling life. That is the good life. Having community around us, not this attitude that I am an island to myself and I will pull myself up by my bootstraps and I can do it all on my own. And I don't need anybody else. Because reality is the bootstrap mentality, it's a great attitude if you want to write a lot of self-help books that don't help anybody. That like the self-help section is super large in the bookstore. But if it works, why would it be that large? Like why when Frank got the, he got the formula, why the first time when he put the formula on paper and everybody else read it, they're like, okay, we do what he does. But the reality is you have person after person after person who just willed themselves and they worked hard on their own and whatever it was they did on their own and they figured out and they worked for them and they're an island to themselves and they go, man, I struck gold here and so I'm gonna put this on paper and I'm gonna sell it. And then it collects dust on someone's shelf because it doesn't work. But in my life, what's changed my life is community. What's really changed my life is the church. It's week after week being in life group, coming to church, sitting next to people who love Jesus, that encourage me, that help me, that walk with me. Humble, loving people. That's what's changed my life. And so throughout this series, we're giving you a practice. We're giving you a practice to do throughout the week. And the practice for this week is just a one-time thing. It's not do it every day. It's just do it once a day. I mean, once a week. And it's this, if you are not in a life group, if you're not in a life group, then join a life group. Like, let me just tell you, there was a long time I did not want to be in a life group. That when I first started coming to church here, I did not want to be in a life group because my attitude was, those people are going to hold me back. My attitude was, I have enough problems on my own without going to help Joe and Bob and Frank with their problems. And that's the bootstrap attitude. It is not the humble attitude that says, I need you and you need me and we are better together than we are on our own. And so I encourage you to join a life group. You can go out to the Better Together table following the service by the Info Center, and you can talk to Todd and Carrie and their team, and they will be happy to try and find you a life group that fits your schedule. But then the second thing is if you're already in a life group, and so many of you are already in a life group, and that is awesome, and it's amazing, and we celebrate that all the time here as a staff, that we have so many people in life groups. If you are in a life group, go to life group. Like, go, because it does make a difference. Now... I have to put a caveat with that because I know right now we have COVID and things are kind of crazy. And so what you need to do is to figure out how can our life group meet together. And so my life group, we met, sometimes we meet on Zoom. We meet over um, the computer or the FaceTime or whatever it is. And it's not as good, but it is better than not meeting at all. And there's been times we walk away from those meetings and we're encouraged and we've laughed together and maybe we've cried together and it's been so much better than us sitting alone in our houses. And it's difficult, but it's worth it. There's other times we've met outside, and we've met 
past it being dark or being colder than we normally would, but we say this is so valuable and so important, we're going to figure out how to make it work. And then recently we've been meeting inside with masks on and we're going, this is what we need to do to keep each other safe or this is what we need to do to keep our teacher friends from getting quarantined. So this is what we're going to do. But whatever it is for your life group, maybe it's calling each other, but whatever it is, meet together. Don't give up meeting together. Don't say, okay, we'll meet together in the spring or in the summer when it gets warm again and we could be outside. You are going to be, you're going to miss out on life. You're going to miss out on community. You're going to miss out on each other and we need each other. And so I need to humble myself and say, I need you, which means I got to get to life group. And so would you humble yourself and say, I need you too, and we got to get to life group. So I believe the gospel gives a more compelling life. I believe the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, that it changes people's hearts, it changes people's lives, it's changed my life, and it gives a more compelling life. So I wonder... What if the gospel had impacted the Pharisee's heart? What if it had got hold of his heart and transformed and changed his heart? And because of the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, he'd become a more humble person who said, I need you and you need me. I wonder if this had been the story that Jesus would have told instead. It says, two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood near his brothers and sisters in Christ and prayed, God... I thank you that though I am just as evil as robbers, evildoers, and adulterers, you were willing to send your son to die for me. Thank you that you changed my proud heart to a humble one, and you were willing to rescue me. Meanwhile, the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Then the Pharisee, noticing the tax collector, walked over to him and wrapped an arm around the man's shoulders and said, God's family has room for another sinner like you. Welcome to the family of God. To me, that's a much more compelling church. That's a much more compelling life. And that's what I want, and that's what I want to be. Would you pray with me? Father God, God, I pray for my friends here in the auditorium, for my friends in the venue, my friends online. Lord, would you please help us, those that have this attitude that says, I don't need anybody else. God, would you please break that in us? God, would you help us to be convicted that we are better together? God, that that when we work together, it shows a better picture, a more compelling life to our neighbors, to our family, to our coworkers. Lord, would you please help me change? Would you help us change by the power of your Holy Spirit? God, it's so easy for us to just say, I'll figure it out, I'll do it on my own. But God, it's not as compelling and it's not as full and it's not the good life. So God, would you change us? Would you transform us? Would you help us to become more like your son? God, we ask for your help. We pray this all in your son's incredible name. Amen.